Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. Each episode features a discussion of current topics from the latest consumer trends and new products to shifts in markets and lifestyles. I'm Andrew McDougall, Associate Director of Beauty and Personal Care at Mintel, and today we're discussing diversity, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today uh, by Rashida Karnam. Welcome, Rosh. Hi, I'm Rashida Karnam. I am UK um, Associate Director for Beauty, and I'm based here in London. We're also joined by Toya Mitchell, so welcome, Toya. Hello, everyone. My name is Toya Mitchell. I'm a Senior Multicultural Analyst in Chicago, United States. Welcome, Toya, and also welcome, welcome to Richard Cope as well. So welcome, Richard. Hi, thank you. I'm Richard Cope, Mintel Senior Trends Consultant working out of London with our European clients. Thank you very much. Well, it's a big welcome to all of you. Um, as I said at the start, we are looking to discuss diversity today, uh, and we do have a good sort of uh, diverse range of perspectives and views from different people in the room uh, and on the phones to talk about this. So I guess the first question and the first topic I wanted to look into is just how important diversity is in consumer goods uh, and in life in general, uh, and also um, why this is important, particularly within different demographics. Um, well, I can start talking about this from the statistical kind of point of view, if you like. I mean, obviously, a, it's morally essential that brands um, embrace diversity. But if you look at it from with cold eyes, just in terms of the market, certainly for Europe, uh, this is the way things are going. You know, Europe has an aging population like most parts of the developed world. So it's going to... Uh, fix the dependency ratio by having more and more young workers coming in from different parts of the world, namely Africa, the Middle East, as far as Europe goes. So society is going to become more diverse. I think here in the European Union, we've already got way in excess of 22 million non-EU citizens living in the European Union, and that's going to continue to rise. So it's the way the market's going. So companies need to wake up to the reality of that, embrace it, and cater to diversity. Um, this is Toya. In the United States, um, the population is basically following the same trends. Um, we will be a, a majority minority country by 2042, meaning that 50% or higher of the U.S. population will be uh, a person of color. So um, multicultural marketing, diversity and inclusion, it's a business imperative um, in addition to ensuring that companies really speak to their target. And I just want to add that it's something that all consumers want as well. I think um, there's an assumption that actually it's only ethnic minority groups that want diversity. But when you look at the consumer statistics, it's consumers across all different groups that want to see more diversity and representation, both in product development, but also in marketing. So it's not something that only the groups that are most affected want to see more of. It's something that everybody wants to see a bit more of and actually everyone benefits from. I think that's a good, uh, interesting point to make as well, just in terms of, I think sometimes when we think of diversity, it's very easy to sort of think of one, you know, when we're talking about diversity, we're talking about this or we're talking about that. But actually, there's so, there is such a diverse range of things that we are looking to discuss. We are talking about race, gender, age, disability. Uh, I mean, in beauty, for example, body positivity is another big thing that we're seeing a lot coming through in different skincare and hair care campaigns. Um, so I guess... How does targeting these different demographics um, actually differ when it comes to diversity? So, for example, when we're targeting men with diversity, and when we're targeting women with diversity, again, we have to approach diversity in a very different way um, 
you know, there, there will be different cues uh, depending on what we're discussing that we will have to touch upon. So, so how does it differ depending on who we are targeting and how we are targeting? You know, I would say that I think that it's about how you want to reach any target that, that you um, want to um, bring into the fold. So if you are, um, and I'm using a quote from, from a former boss, if you are looking for left-handed um, blonde people, then, then, you, then for whatever <laughs> your product is, then you have to go out and, and find, those, find those people. You have to understand what is their motivation, what, why are they doing, um, what are their attitudes, what are their perceptions, what makes them unique. And, and I think that tapping into whatever makes a particular target unique, whether it's based on, on ethnicity or race or sexual orientation, whatever makes that, that particular target for a particular category unique um, is to understand the attitudes and perceptions and, and speak to it in a very honest and authentic way to say that, that this is um, a product or a service that's going to be of value to you. I just want to say as well, actually building on that, that um, it's a fundamental human need that we want to feel respected and we want to feel recognized. And I think it's definitely important that we understand about specific consumer groups, but we also should understand that there's a lot of commonalities across them. So we're talking about men versus women and targeting them differently. Um, one of the things we see a lot in women's marketing campaigns is this whole notion of body positivity. Now, does that mean men don't want to see more, you know, better representations of different body shapes? No, it doesn't. It's just that it's not being catered to them right now. So I think whilst it's important to understand the differences and sort of marketing towards those differences, we should also bear in mind there's a lot of similarities as well. Yeah, I think we have to detect, you know, and explore are there differences or not. I mean, I remember, I've been in Mintel a long time now, I remember back uh, early 2000s, the media was obsessed with this idea of the pink pound, and they were particularly looking at things like uh, holidays, especially for gay men. And there was lots of excitement about how this was a big untapped commercial market. And I think people quickly found out that the kind of holidays gay men wanted to go on weren't much different from the kind of holidays uh, heterosexual couples wanted to go on. So, yeah, sometimes I think we're sort of going in the wrong places and there isn't necessarily a difference and we have to explore whether there is or not. I think, yeah, I think that's a good point when we talk about um, sort of targeting men and targeting women in different ways and, and making sure that we do that targeting in a genuine, authentic way also. I think men, I think in general, when it comes to beauty and we look at men being targeted, you, you mentioned, Rosh, about the body positivity element of it. And I think men are almost desensitized when it comes to diversity in, in a different way to others, um, purely just because, maybe because men have always held maybe historically power in society so they've maybe been safeguarded to the types of images that are put up on them but we are almost seeing now that uh, the likelihood of men being engaged in beauty advertising for example are much more likely to be sort of young athletic types which is the image that then portrayed in the adverts which again is then actually marginalizing a lot of other men uh, and sort of so it's almost like chicken and egg that we have now it's almost like we're sort of where is this cycle going to stop this idea that when we target men we're targeting that young sort of uh, appealing demographic of men. But actually, that's kind of part of the problem. So I think, yeah, it's interesting to see how we will target men differently to women. And speaking just of beauty advertising now, of course. Um, but it is interesting to see how you do really have to, and again, to go on to Richard's point, you do really have to look at 
and listen to your target audience to know how we target them effectively without tokenism coming into play as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I would add to that? I think that um, not only is it important to understand by category, but also by brand, um, if, especially within beauty. Um, I, I think there are some brands that are very aspirational. And so because of that, that brand equity, regardless of, of who you are bringing into, into um, the, the brand, you're going to want to ensure that you're speaking to that aspirational aspect as well as whatever um, a particular target um, would be uh, appealing, would would be of appeal to a particular target within that aspirational brand. If you go on the other end of the spectrum, if a brand is more natural or, or more realistic, then you still want to speak to that brand equity as well as um, any any specific target that um, where that brand is going to be um, appealing. So I, I think it's by category. I think it's by brand. I, I, at, at the end of the day, I think that a brand has to have clarity as to um, their equity, who they are, um, who is going to see them as, as being valuable and, and ensure that they're speaking to um to that target in an authentic way across the board. So who would you say then from what we've discussed, and I'm very aware not to make this too beauty centric because that would be <laughs> that would be my thing, um, but who would you say then is getting it right then? Because I, I do think that sometimes, I, I mentioned tokenism earlier, but I do think that we do see a lot of consumers, particularly from the British data we have that we've seen in the UK, um, we have seen that consumers don't always feel that diversity shown in advertising is particularly sincere. There is this sort of, this still skepticism or doubt around why certain adverts have been uh, sort of portrayed or positioned in the way that they are but who do we think then is getting it right uh, i mean from a beauty aspect i would call out brands like fenty beauty for example because they've done very well uh, but are there other examples i mean richard i'd be interested to know your views on this uh, just because you cover such a broad range of different companies um, of who, who's getting it right and also who's who could maybe do a little bit more well, looking around at sort of beauty and personal care, um, I've been impressed by this campaign, uh, Sally Hansen's Sheetopia campaign, if we look at it in terms of, you know, gender equality, just because I think when you're looking at any kind of issue like this, if you can do it in a sophisticated way, um, and that campaign's got a lot of good humor around it, sort of subverts cliches, that's, you're halfway there, I think. But the other thing you've obviously got to do is, as soon as you start going into this territory, you've got to be all in. You've got to be fully committed. If you're leaving anything to chance, if you're not crossing all your T's, you're in trouble here. So we know, for example, uh, the Gillette campaign has had um, their, their campaign, you know, is this the best a man can get? Well, I think you and I, you and I Andrew, agree it's a, it's a laudable campaign with its intentions, but it's come under fire because if you look more closely at that brand, they're still employing a degree of pink pricing. Uh, in terms of charging women more. So that's a sort of fatal error if you're going to try and follow that campaign. The other brand I'd like to talk about is Nike because Nike's a brand we've been championing with their Dream Crazy campaigns. Obviously, um, back to what Toy was talking about, they understand where the market is going in America, you know, with uh, making Colin Kaepernick you know, the key to their campaign. They realize the future of Nike is not angry middle-aged white men burning their Putting their trainers, sneakers. Sorry, Toya. Uh, you know, talking about. So then they realise that's not the. They realise that's not the, that's not the future. They realise the future of America is is young multicultural America, and and the future of Nike is beyond America. It's China as well. But uh, let's call out Nike a bit as well because they've done really well with their Dream Crazy campaign fronted by Serena Williams. Yet they themselves are embroiled in controversy at the moment because we're finding out that the female athletes who Nike sponsor. 
when they become pregnant, the checks stop coming through. So, you know, they're, they're not perfect either. So you need to look at every aspect of what you're doing. I mean, Nike's done a great job of championing Serena Williams as a sportswoman who's had a baby come back one more titles, but if they're going to do that. I think they need to carry it right through to the end. If we're looking at gender equality and they need to make sure they aren't sponsoring female athletes and then stopping those checks once they become pregnant. You know, they need to offer the people they sponsor um, maternity leave as well. So I think the challenge, you've seen some laudable campaigns here, but the challenge is really carry out a thorough overview of your company. You look at every aspect of your company and make sure you're staying true to what you're saying at every level. And I think it's important that they are lauded campaigns as well, as you said, that we are saying it's a very positive move they've made because it is about taking steps. We're not saying overnight solutions are going to come straight away, but it is important to, as Richard was saying, I think, to look at your own practices and make sure that you're at least taking steps in the right direction. Let's be working towards things. Consumers want more transparency, so they want to see that we are making efforts. Um, it's better to make those steps than to be not doing anything at all. For example, yeah, I mean, I totally agree on that because you know we we spend a lot of time at Intel talking about how you know we have political fragmentation at the moment. People don't trust governments. It's hard to find a majority government anywhere in Europe at the moment. So brands are in a position to govern, and brands are in a they have a responsibility to change the agenda, raise the moral agenda. If you look at some of the people who are in power around the world at the moment, and you know, brands have an opportunity to do something about this. So yeah, it's laudable that they are trying to do that, and we'll forgive them some mistakes along the way. Uh, I was going to say, in um, in the United States, I would um, say the CoverGirl is doing a really good job in um, having broad appeal, having a central and clear um, brand equity that has different applications across their target. Um, they have um, my Musk, who is actually Elon Musk's mother. She is um, a cover girl. She is in her 70s. She's absolutely gorgeous. And, and, her, and the message is, you know, just because I'm, I'm aging doesn't mean that I don't care about my looks. Um, I think she is a, a, a perfect cover girl. Um, they are also very inclusive in, in terms of um, gender, in terms of color, in terms of, of size. And actually, CoverGirl has, 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 been that, has been that way for a number of years, both um, now as a Cody um, advertiser and in the past when um, it was P&G owned. So they have really elevated their brand equity and they've kept in step. And I wouldn't even say in step, but I, I think that they have been at the forefront of ensuring that they have always been an inclusive brand. I think CoverGirl is a great example. I absolutely love their new tagline. Um, so I, I think that's a brilliant example from beauty. I think for me, um, this is purely from a personal point of view. I think the UK fashion or UK high street fashion brands are doing really, really well. So um, 10 years ago, it was impossible to find modest clothing on the high street. Now it's so widely available. And one of the the high street retailers that I think really kind of led the way was H&M. So back in 2015, they were one of the first brands that actually used a Muslim hijabi model in an advertising campaign. And now they've got a whole modest collection. Um, and they're just one of a few. ASOS have a collection as well. And um, there's a few others that are online. So Yes, Nike. Nike's done the hijab. Um, so I think I think fashion's a really interesting one. I think they've really kind of 
like taken strides ahead, particularly when it comes to to offering modest options for Muslim women. That's a really no, but I love it though because it's all about making it. things more visible, isn't it? And sort of, um, I hate that sort of term yeah. normalizing, but it's sort of making it sort of like you just see it. Like I love the, you know, emoji have just launched 230 new emojis this year. And so you've got things like people with cochlear implants or if you have walking aids um, or like the period emojis or just so many. Uh, there's all these things now that actually they should be part of our normal vernacular. They should be part of the normal conversations that we have. So we do need to have, I think, more visibility on things like that. I loved what um, Burberry did for the LGBT. Uh, BTQ plus um, campaign they ran the rainbow check campaign they ran um, a, a little while ago as well sort of that was all about having sort of the rainbow pattern in the clothing to sort of highlight that so incorporating it into designs but they're also making donations to charity and highlighting or putting the spotlight on certain um, LGBTQ plus it, sort of situations or issues that they're having so again it's that that sort of holistic approach of not just token thinking right let's go with this community but actually investing time money and effort to go with that so yeah i love that kind of that kind of concept um i think we've picked some some good companies there i, I would say it goes back to roger's comment about being respected um i think everybody wants to be seen and everybody wants to feel as if they are of value and um being seen being represented um means that this is a brand this is a brand that gets me this is a, a service that gets me and and i think it kind of goes back to what i was saying earlier that it is of value and it is valuable to me and i think at the end of the day every brand wants to do that and i think um the the way to get there is to really um is to understand the um consumer insights as to why why they you know why this brand for me so go, going a step further with that then, not just not just from that sort of consumer campaign um, sort of result, and what you were sort of mentioning there, Toy, as well, is about sort of looking at sort of diversity and inclusivity and how important is that then just within organizations, so just for companies in general within their own organization rather than just the marketing campaigns that they're putting out there publicly. But how important is it and how difficult is it to get started with having diversity and inclusivity as a, as a genuine behavior and an attitude throughout your brand, your brand or your company? Um, this is just me personally. I believe that, um, you know, just kind of based on what I've experienced and what I've seen in the, in the last couple of years, um, if a company is inclusive first, followed by diversity, meaning um, every, you can be your authentic self when you, at, when you are at work, you can um, demonstrate uh, what is different, what is the same without feeling of retribution, um, and that the the end goal is to um, move toward a company goal. I think if that if if a company starts with inclusion at the beginning, then the diversity piece um, is a little easier to feel rather than yo know, go ahead. Just building on that, I just want to share a quote that I heard a few months ago at a diversity um, presentation. Um, diversity is being asked to the party. Inclusivity is being asked to dance. And I think that's a really nice quote. Diversity has almost become a bit of a checkbox. We've got to have this many brown faces in our advertising campaign. Or <laughs> we have to hire this many people from this background. But actually, you know, if you're going back to your point about inclusivity, if you're making people feel um, respected and welcome and comfortable to be their true selves, and that's where you're going to get, you know, true, um, you're going to mm -hmm. get people shine, yep. actually, you're going to get innovation. Um, I want to share an example from um, my uh, last company that I used to work for. So I used to work at P&G, which was 
absolutely brilliant when it came to inclusivity and diversity. Um, and there was a lady I knew there called Sumaira Latif, who at the time she was a, a manager in IT. She won't know me because I was just a lowly researcher in R&D. Um, but she went on to take on a number of different roles. Um, and one of those was um, she was the global people with disabilities leader. And then she became the special consultant for inclusive design. Now, Samara Latif is blind herself. And you may or may not have heard, but last year, um, I think it was late last year, Herbal Essences talked about how they're launching these new bottles that are, that are going to have sort of tactile functions on them that will help people who are visually impaired. And so she was part of that, kind of developing that product. And so that's a really nice example of where, you know, somebody from with very specific needs has been nurtured and encouraged and given a role with kind of creativity and innovation, a sort of a creative and innovative role. And so she's been able to help develop products that will are in, you know, is better for the company overall. I think that's important as well because there's a genuine brand attitude at that point then because by focusing on inclusivity within the organization, not thinking about campaigns, but as you say, it then leads to innovation in different areas. I I think that's important. I mean, I don't know if you've got anything more to add on on that point, Rich. I would just add that, um, you know, the studies are out there proving that the more diverse your company is, the more financially successful it's going to be. And, you know, in terms of companies starting off with this, I I think it's like anything else where you're trying to change a company. People will forgive you if it takes a while. I mean, be honest about, you know, what kind of diversity you have in your company. Publish the figures. Don't wait for the next government equivalent of the gender pay gap to uh, be set by the government because it will happen. There will be a diversity report forced on companies soon. So embrace the future and, you know, self-report, be honest about that, set yourself targets, grow up in public if you like, I think is, is what brands have to do with this. But, you know, again, putting my hard statistical hat on here, I mean, this is the future. This is the way it's going. The workforce is going to be diverse because the old way of looking at things in Europe is going to be yesterday's papers. You know, it's an, it's an aging white population. The workforce is going to be diverse. I don't care what people say in this country or what they voted for. That is the way it is going and it is going to be. So embrace it now. You know what, what I want to piggyback on that? You said to set targets. Um, I think that is it's absolutely crucial. It is, it, you have to have a target. You have to have um, definable um, goals. And I, I was, it's interesting. I was thinking about this um, earlier this morning and I think it's the difference. I think that companies have a, have struggled with efficiency versus effectiveness. Um, I think efficiency is about what you can see now um, versus effectiveness is putting your faith in what you believe is going to happen in the future. And I think that whether you're speaking of uh, diversity and inclusion from a talent resource perspective, or if you're thinking about it from a business perspective, I think that because um, there are a few companies who are really um, invested in doing it right, then that effectiveness is, is kind of future forward. But you, but it's something that um, companies have to have a an actual definitive goal to say this is what we're going to be and ensure that um, that it is a part of uh, a company a goal, a company plan. And I think also it has to be reflected all the way through the organisation as well. You've you've got to have 
diversity reflected all the way through to senior levels, people have to feel as though they're seeing leaders that represent themselves. So I think it's, it's, you know, it's important that it's across all levels and also all parts of a business. And that's important, really, I guess, in terms of sorting your own house out before, you know, before going public with all these campaigns and looking at how can we be more inclusive and diverse in the campaigns that we're sort of promoting to consumers. Ultimately, consumers are going to know if you're authentic or not in your messaging and your house has to be in order first, basically. It has to be a case of you need to be listening to your own employees, you need to be listening uh, to your own cultures that you know, in the environments that you work in. So it really is important, I think, to look at inclusivity and diversity within before um, sort of looking at promoting these messages going forward. Um, unfortunately, I think we've possibly come to the end of our time. I know we could probably speak on this um, for quite a while. Uh, but thank you so much, um, all three of you, actually, for your insights on what is clearly a very relevant subject. Uh, from Richard's strong words, quite clearly a subject that we will be talking about in the future, whether we like it or not. Um, so, yeah, definitely a lot of developments in this one for the future. Um, but thank you uh, very much for your insights. Thank you very much to Roche. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it's been, it's been wonderful. And I think you've already given us the title to the podcast with your quote earlier as well. Uh, thank you also to... <laughs> To, to Toya as well joining us from the States so thank you Toya thank you thank you for having me and thank you very much as well for your strong message as well uh, just at the end there Richard I, I, I really felt it and I'm just sitting a few feet away from you <laughs> but, um, I'm, sure, I'm sure it comes across the audio waves as well so thank you Richard thank you Andrew thank you and it's thank you from me um, I'm Andrew McDougall uh, thank you very much to, to everyone for tuning in and listening to today's uh, episode uh, to learn more about Mintel or any of the topics that we have discussed today uh, then head over to Mintel.com and you can find out more uh, and also be sure to subscribe to Little Conversation wherever you get your lovely podcasts in your ears uh, but all that's left for me to say again is thank you for joining us and have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.